athletes would call it to be in the zone. Right. A jazz player on stage, like John Coltrane, would call it to be in the pocket. A comedian would call it to be in the forever box when just one joke comes out of the next and so on. And so different areas have different words for this flow state, this, this heightened state of consciousness. In when you lose your ego and your prefrontal cortex shuts off and you're just in the moment, you're in the environment and you're as present as you can possibly be. And the greatest triggers for this state uh, are either physical risk or exposure to nature or you know where all your senses are being challenged. But flow, again, flow follows focus. So when you lose focus, focus on your breathing. I give my marketing manager, let's say a limited budget, uh, she will become much more creative in finding solutions than if she has an unlimited budget. And this is a law called the Parkinson's law. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more on building optimal performance into your life, visit naturalstacks.com. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is he's the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. All right, happy Thursday, all you optimal performers. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy. Welcome to another episode of the OPP. Really cool episode for you today. Finally getting a chance to, to sit down and talk to a friend of ours that we've run into at a few different conferences, um, Maximilian Gonsler, uh, German guy, amazing. Uh, Max played college basketball here in the U.S. He runs a company called Flowgrade in Germany where they – Focus on, I'll, Max, I'll let you talk about it so I don't mess it up, but you guys, uh, I guess my, the way I would define it is, is uh, that you guys are, are distributing information and uh, products that help Germans live optimal. Hey, thanks, Ryan. First of all, thanks for having me on, and especially uh, after all this time that uh, we've actually planned this to, to happen, and now it, it does, and... Uh, I have to say that even before you started the podcast, I already thought, I, I think I told some of the Finnish guys, I said, uh, Ryan has a voice to do a podcast. He should, <laughs> he should start a podcast. <laughs> and then I heard you on the train uh, record with uh, Simo from yeah. Ember Night. Yeah. And I thought, okay, finally. <laughs> well, we, uh, we're glad to have you here. As I said, we've run into Max at, at Paleo FX last year. We, as, as Max just said, we both spoke in Finland. Max is an expert on flow. We're going to talk a lot about the, the neuroscience behind flow states, how we can use that to increase our happiness, increase our productivity, and, and be better at what we do. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, was it Dr. Ned uh, Hollowell who said, you know, flow is the doorway to the more that we all want. So Max is going to help us break it down and, and help us kind of biohack it, if you will, so that we can... Um, you know, kind of get into that zone on command. Before we get into everything with Max, a couple of housekeeping notes for you guys. Uh, number one, as always, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. If we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with free product. Um, there's some really cool reviews coming in. You guys make me blush when I read these. Um, so thank you for, for the great feedback. Uh, here's one from Aaron Penland, Living Optimal. Thanks, Ryan, for your expertise on health and wellness and always bringing in experts to collaborate with you and living optimal. Uh, and then in one more from Freely, Flour Freely Flourish, hands down the best podcast for those seeking growth. Ryan Muncy is a brilliant health and wellness professional who is intimately and altruistically passionate about helping others become their best self. I've been listening to this podcast for just shy of a year now, primarily while working out, but often on long commutes as well, and have whiteboards in my home riddled with salient gems and quotes I've heard via his interviews, such as ACE, Action Creates Energy. Um, so th this is great. You guys, thank you for your support. This is how we grow. Um, if, if you find what we're doing helpful to you, share it with your friends, share it with your family. I know Max is going to share some really cool information uh, that will help us. 
So anybody that comes to your mind, share it with them. Uh, for you guys whose uh, reviews we just read, shoot me an email, Ryan at Natural Stacks. We'll get you some free product. And as always, you can go to naturalstacks.com to see the blog post version of this podcast that will have links and resources. I know we'll have several from this because I've got some images that I want to share with you guys regarding flow. I know Max is going to talk about some things that you may want to pursue and go down that rabbit hole, do your own research as well. So um, that said, public service announcement is over. Max's eyes are already glazed over. (laughs) (laughs) Max, what let's let's start this by kind of defining flow what is flow yeah and first of all let me jump back just uh, so people know where i come from and why you invited me to talk about flow so uh, i founded a biohacking brand in germany called flow great and so we already have that uh, term in the name flow great and the name came to be that i actually tried to get away from all this upgrading and optimizing and uh, for a while, I was really the, the optimizer my, uh, myself who uh, popped, you know, every nootropic there was pretty much that I could find, um, tried all fitness regimes and diets and tried to optimize myself and live this high performance lifestyle. And then at some point I uh, came to find out that it didn't really make me happier. You know, I was this really capable uh, human being, former athlete, played in the NCAA, and I felt physically and mentally really fit, but somehow I felt I was losing my goal. And then I took a step back and I thought, okay, you know, instead of maybe just optimizing for the sake of optimizing, I needed to really think about why I was optimizing and what I was optimizing and upgrading for. And uh, I came really interested in that concept of flow, flow meaning uh, this optimal state of consciousness that you are Uh, in when you lose your ego and your prefrontal cortex shuts off and you're just in the moment you're in the environment and you're as present as you can possibly be and uh, I uh, you know came across that concept by listening to Stephen Kotler who wrote that uh, well quite well-known book right now uh, on flow called the rise of superman and I had him on on my podcast as well as Jamie Wheel uh, talk about flow and I got more and more into it and I thought that giving people the tools and methods in order to get into this state uh, was a great purpose for the company. And that's why Flowgrade became Flowgrade. Uh, now to your question, what is flow? So flow is, like I said, a state of heightened perception, a state of uh, heightened consciousness of optimal being in the moment. And uh, there are actually three parts that are associated with flow. The one is that your ego shuts off. So this is actually a neuroanatomical process where your prefrontal cortex in a way shuts off and you just don't think about yourself anymore. You don't judge yourself and you're in the moment and your ego is oftentimes uh, one of those actors that really prevents you from being present, enjoying the moment, being mindful. So I just want to kind of point out one thing there and First of all, the, the book, Rise of Superman, is an amazing book. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite books. Um, I saw Jamie and, and Steven speak at the 2014, I believe, uh, Bulletproof Conference. And those are actually some of the images that I'm going to share on, on the blog post for this. And um, I actually wrote a blog about that, and I printed it out so that I had my notes handy as we were talking because those guys are, are definitely the flow experts. But in the book, Rise of Superman, you know, they talk about uh, a lot of the examples that they use and a lot of the people they studied for flow were extreme sports athletes. And I think if somebody hasn't read that book, and if you hear what Max just said, where we're talking about, you know, this, this neuroanatomical shift that happens when you're in the flow state and you drop the ego and, and your prefrontal cortex shuts off. If you're sitting at your desk and, and you're trying to get in the flow state and doing work, that's a really weird thing to to think about or, or, you know, conceptualize, like, what would this look like? What would this feel like? And that's one of the reasons I love the book Rise of Superman, because the examples they give are, they're extreme sports examples. But if you're, you know, Laird Hamilton, and you're surfing a 100 foot wave, you're not, you're not thinking about your ego. With the, exactly. the, the second you get in that moment, or if, if you're hang gliding, or if you're rock climbing, you if you are to get into the flow state, 
your your ego, your your prefrontal cortex is is shut off because it has to be, and and that's one of the things they talk about in the book is flow or die for these extreme sports athletes. But and, and we'll talk about some triggers and and some prerequisites for flow. But I just want people to kind of if if you're not familiar with the book, uh, or, or if this is your first introduction to flow, maybe that's a little bit more tangible way to kind of conceptualize some of the things that Max just said. Yeah, so you you know you hit the nail on its head, like we say in Germany, uh, and it's a great question because that actually happened to me as well. So I was you know uh, consuming all this content from Co uh, Stephen Kotler and, and Jamie, and uh, I I did forget that people most people don't get into these really extreme environments, and the greatest triggers for this state uh, are either physical risk or exposure to nature, or you know, where all your senses are being challenged. And that's why athletes, especially extreme athletes, but also you know, athletes such as LeBron James, basketball players, NFL players, mm -hmm. they're under these extreme conditions and they get a lot easier into this flow state. I mean, athletes would call it to be in the zone. Right. A jazz player on stage, like John Coltrane, would call it to be in the pocket, you know, when they hit every tone and, and, and just play music without having anything scripted or a comedian would call it to be in the forever box when just one joke comes up to the next and so on and so different areas have different words for this flow state this this heightened state of consciousness and so i then try to take it a step further also with flow grid because i have people approach me and say you know what i'm not an extreme athlete how can i get more flow how can, how can i live in the moment i'm sitting at my desk and i um i'm struggling to, to concentrate and to focus and uh, that's how I came up with my topic for uh, the Biohacker Summit now in Helsinki, where it was 11 powerful flow hacks for work in, in an office environment. And there are things that people can do in order to trigger themselves. So uh, that is a great way to now take it a step further, because I think initially and still until now, it's mostly studied with either soldiers or extreme athletes. And these are both uh, types of people that are ex in extreme environments and you can't really compare them to an everyday person sitting at a desk. So let's explain why that is. Um, you know, I, I've heard Laird say, you know, when, when he catches that wave, everything else ceases to exist. And, and it's probably the same way for any other extreme sports athlete. But you and I know this and I've heard you say it and, and maybe it was in your talk, but uh, or maybe it was in a talk that you and I had, but focus is a prerequisite for flow. And when you're on the side of a mountain or getting ready to catch a wave, you have to be completely focused. And, and as you said, some of those triggers, whether it's nature or, or fear, or you know, these things all heighten focus and they block out a lot of other noise or distractions. And I, I think that that's something that you, you touched on when you spoke in Finland. And, and I would love to hear... Uh, or hear you share that, you know, some of those ways with our audience that we can do that in an environment that may not be as mentally stimulating or engaging as, you know, Yosemite or, you know, some, some great nature environment. Right. Um, so th there are definitely, you know, I think if uh, anyone takes anything away from, from this episode, it should be flow follows focus. You know, it's a, it's an easy sentence and it's just, Focus is so tremendously important and it's really rare and hard to get nowadays because we're just overstimulated by so many pop-ups, notifications, emails, uh, people interrupting us, uh, phones ringing. Uh, there have been and there never have been more distractions, potential distractions than today. And it's important to shut them off. And uh, maybe before uh, going into concrete advice, uh, uh, I think an easy way also to understand flow is there are three changes. So there's neuroanatomy, neurochemistry, and neuroelectricity. And you have changes in all of those when you get into this state. And uh, the most important and the predominant one is uh, the prefrontal cortex shutting off, as we said in the beginning, uh, where your ego is stored and your judgment, your self-judgment and your self-reflection. And you just you have to shut that off in, in order to really get into that moment. Then the second, neurochemistry. There's some really powerful chemicals that often, you know, we biohackers 
we, we, yeah, we do. We, we love these neurotransmitters. We really do love them. And uh, we sometimes forget, though, that our body also is capable of producing some of them itself and in a powerful way. And there is a, a cocktail of neurotransmitters being released uh, in that cycle of flow. And the first is usually you get into the struggle moment and surface. Let's say you said Eric Hamilton, he sees the wave, you know, he's uh, feeling the pressure that he has to perform right now, or he might, you know, die if, if he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so he releases norepinephrine, adrenaline, mm -hmm. uh, and later on dopamine, which is a rewarding experience that he's on the right path to do something mm -hmm. later on. Uh, endorphins also making you happy mm -hmm. and uh, it anandamide which helps with pattern recognition which is also a component in, in marijuana and THC mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it uh, helps improve creativity and at the end it's a serotonin release as well making you feel good so this is why flow feels so extremely good it's also quite addictive so now we have neuroanatomy we have neurochemistry and the last one is neuroelectricity so you have different brainwave patterns that are present. Usually when you're awake and you're processing a lot of information around you, you're in this fairly fast beta wave. And uh, when you get into flow, you slowly get to the border of an alpha wave and a theta wave. And that's where usually that happens. Sometimes you have these gamma spikes where you have these aha moments where you really are, you, you found the solution or you're, you came up with this creative uh, way of, of surfing the wave or the the mountains, snowboarding down the mountain in order to uh, save yourself from dying, for example. So you, you have different neurochemistry and you can also induce that. And I'm saying that right now because some of the triggers that I'm saying right now, mm -hmm. they're associated with this. Okay. So, so now, okay, we have these three different things happening in our brain, in our body, and now we can find ways in order to hack them, which, which is what we do as biohackers. And uh, before, before we move off of those, I just want to remind our listeners, um, that was actually some of the stuff that I printed off. Um, so everything I printed to have notes and handy, Max just has all memorized. He's, this is why he's the flow expert for us. Um, but these are, all, these are all covered in the book, Rise of Superman, in, in much greater detail. You mentioned anandamide, which is a neurotransmitter. Um, that's actually from the Sanskrit word for bliss, and, and it, is, it shows up, uh, you're right, it, it is part of uh, what's in cannabis plants, um, but it also shows up in exercise-induced um, you know, flow states, like runner's high. Um, and wow. uh, the, I, I have a great picture from when Jamie and Steven spoke that shows the cycle of those four phases that you talked about for the brain, where we go kind of struggle, release, flow, and then the recovery or the dark side. Um, I, I want to get you to talk a little bit about those four phases and, and how they correspond to those brain waves before we move on to some of those triggers. Um, and one other thing to reiterate too is, uh, I think this was a great point from Jamie and, and uh, Stephen, is that there's, there's an optimal zone to kind of push yourself to reach flow. Um, and maybe you'll talk about this with triggers too, but you know, we want to to extend ourselves a little bit outside of our comfort zone, but not a lot. So optimal for flow is like a one to three percent uh, outside of our comfort zone. Anything greater than that is too much of a jump and it leads to frustration or shutting down. It's not mentally stimulating. So if I'm not a surfer, if I've never surfed, I shouldn't go out and try to get into flow state on an 80 foot wave. Right, that's, yeah. that's more than one to three percent outside of my comfort zone. And that, and that you know, I had a bit of uh, trouble with this. Uh, I've heard four percent being thrown around or one to three percent. But for people, it's really difficult to understand what does it mean to be three percent away from my comfort zone. Uh, and I think an easier thing to, to, to just maybe understand it in a qualitative way is that imagine yourself in a difficult situation for a test, let's say, or an assessment center when you go for a job interview and you haven't studied at all. You know, obviously the task is really difficult. Mm -hmm. You have this fight or flight response. So you say, you might just not do it. You might not, not take the test because you might fail. You, you think you will fail it anyways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a flight response. So you, you certainly don't get into a flow state. So ideally, 
uh, and if it's too easy, you also don't get into the flow state. You know, if you take an elementary school test, let's say, then you also, you're not really challenged, you're not afraid, you don't get this uh, adrenaline push. And uh, you, you, you might take the test, but you're not fully concentrated uh, and you don't get to your full capacity of, and, and you, of the power that you have inside of you. So ideally, you, the test is a bit more challenging, and this is the one to three percent or four percent, uh, than your perceived skill level is of yourself. And let's say a basketball player uh, enters a game, you know, and you think, I don't know, you, the Cleveland Cavaliers, you play the Gold State Warriors, and this is considered to be the best team, but you think we have, we have, we could beat them if we play really well. If we play the best game of the season, we, we beat them. And so this is an ideal flow trigger because you know that if you play really well, if you play a perfect game, you beat them, but you, you know that if you play a regular game, you lose. And so this is that the perception of, this, of the task at hand is a bit more difficult than your average skill level. And I think that's a great way to think about it because this 3 4%, it's, it's hard to grasp, I think. How did they come up with that number? Right. I, I think the important thing here is to realize, you know, look, I'm, to not get hung up on am I 1% or 2 or 5% outside of my comfort zone, but just to know you're, you're pushing yourself a little bit beyond your boundaries. But my question for you here, Max, is a lot of people in that situation would, would uh, I'm trying to think of a, a politically correct way to, to phrase it, but, uh, you know, shit the bed, right? Uh, that's all I can come up with at the moment. <laughs> no, it's not politically correct, but, you know, it's, it's game seven and, and it's win or, or, you know, you're done in that Cavaliers and Warriors example. And, you know, we, we know last year that LeBron performed well. And, and that they came back and they won. A lot of people don't perform to the ability, to the level that they want in those situations. How can we dial up peak performance or optimal performance on command instead of wilting under pressure when we are faced with that situation? Uh, there are a couple of things that you can do in order to deal with with the pressure, and I think one one way as an athlete, I'm a I'm just a big fan of practice, repetitions, mm -hmm. and getting into a routine uh, and, and creating habits. I think that's a it's a great way because you can perform these habits without switching on your your conscious brain. You do them subconsciously, pretty much. So, uh, and one way to to trigger routines in a high pressure environment, I think is visualization. And a basketball player, Steve Nash is really famous for that. You know, he always did the follow through without the ball. So he visualized himself shooting a free throw before he actually did. And so he shot uh, over 90% of his whole career. Um, visualization is a great way. It's also before the pressure situation. Let's say before free throw is a high pressure situation at the end of the game, and you visualize yourself just before shooting that and you could do that and in, in, even when you're sitting at a desk and you have a deadline you go through the motions in your head uh, what you have to do okay now i have to i don't know uh, let's say finish the article mm -hmm. then prepare the newsletter uh, for christmas then uh, launch the the new product and then press send before do a little test so you can go through all those steps mentally first ideally writing them down and it will take off the pressure because you won't find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do if you that's i think the the dangerous thing that you all of a sudden you're under pressure and you just lose focus and you don't know what to do every one of us knows that situation and you can prevent that would it be fair to say that that if you fell victim to that that you're focusing more on the external situation circumstances environment as opposed to the actions that you need to be performing uh, because you said, you know, that, that we want to be operating from the subconscious, not the conscious. And, and the subconscious has this muscle memory, this, this neuro uh, patterning, you know, if, if neurons that fire together, wire together, if, if we've done the repetitions, you know, I think like Navy SEALs or special forces guys that have put in you know, years of repetitions. And like you said, practice, if it's repetitions on free throws or, or visualization, you're, 
in flow, we're operating basically from our subconscious, not our conscious. Is that correct? That's uh, very correct. I think it's it's a misaligned focus uh, on the, on the wrong things. You're, you're totally right. And you know, just there are a couple ways of how you can train yourself in order to focus better. And I think this is just one visualization. It's just one. I think there are much more interesting ones once we, once we dig into more biohacking stuff. For example, uh, neurofeedback. It's a great way of making your brain more flexible. And tied to that, and I should have mentioned that before, that is meditation, which everyone can do. Mm-hmm. And you know that uh, all the meditation gurus and teachers, uh, they always say that when you lose focus, focus on your breathing. So go back to the most primal uh, technique that you know that you do and just focus on breathing in and out. And you and then you you get rid of all this distraction around you. So I think training this, you will make your brain a lot more flexible and neurofeedback for people that haven't heard about that. I'm sure they have heard from you about that. Um, but it's that you, you're you listening pretty much to two different uh, frequencies. This is a binaural beat technique uh, and your brain forces uh, itself into a different brainwave state. In a pre, in a, so there's a different predominant uh, brainwave. And this also ties to this uh, concept of neuroelectricity uh, in, that you know happens when you, when you get into the flow. So there are some binaural beats out there. You can find them on SoundCloud or actually you've created one for flow. I can share it with you. That would be uh, great. And for you, for the listeners. And it's it really forces you into a your brain to, in a different brain wave. And that way you have a much easier time focusing on the task at hand when you're listening to that. You have to uh, wear headphones because you have two different frequencies, mm-hmm. two different ears. Right. Um, but it's, it's a great way at the workplace actually to help your brain not get distracted that easily. Mm-hmm. So, so for, for our listeners, um, we've done two different podcasts on neurofeedback. One uh, where we talked to neuroscientist Dr. Andrew Hill and one where I actually went out there and got QEEG and, and neurofeedback. We, we videoed and shared my results for that. And that was part of what I actually spoke about when, when Max and I were in Finland. So if you haven't heard those, go back and listen to those. And it's been almost a year ago on the podcast where we had the co-founders of Brain FM on to talk about um, binaural beats and, and using those. So, so those are previous episodes where we dive deep into some of the stuff that Max just mentioned. If you guys have not heard those, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. I'll put links for them on the blog post for this. Max, you mentioned the, the neuroelectricity. I don't think that that is something that we've talked about yet. So before we really dive into all these triggers, we can do at work. Is there anything that we need to know about neuroelectricity of flow that we haven't talked about yet? Well, uh, I'm also relying now on the on the findings of the Flow Genome Project, so the project that you know mm-hmm. Stephen Cutler and Jamie Wheel have started, and uh, they found that flow happens uh, in an alpha brainwave. So also, it's not that your brain is only running on one brainwave. So there's uh, usually multiple brainwaves active, but there's usually one dominant one. Mm-hmm. And the dominant one in flow is alpha and sometimes theta. So uh, Stephen would say that it happens uh, right at the border from alpha to theta. Mm-hmm. And theta is also a state that you find in deep meditative states. And so the next, the, the, the slower, the slowest one pretty much is delta, which happens in really deep sleep. So you don't get into that one when you're in flow. So you're in between an awake state and a really deep sleep state. Mm-hmm. That's where flow happens. So you're not totally aware and awake, but you're in some way in a meditative state. I think it's important to note that as you go through this, you know, and, and we, we mentioned previously with the, the phases of learning, you know, that phase one is struggle where you're trying to assimilate pieces of information. And then we have kind of you take a break, you get a release, and then only later could you come back and, and experience flow. Um, and, and the brain waves associated with each of those states start out at the fastest and go to the slowest beta with the accumulation and struggle phase, predominantly moving into alpha. And then, as you said, theta, which would be where we would hit flow state and delta is associated with sleep. Um, you know, using athletes again, as an example, you hear 
like a, a freshman in college or a rookie in the pros come in and they say, the game was moving too fast for me. And, and their brain is going really, really fast. They're trying to process and assimilate all this information. I think it's really poignant that you, you, you mentioned that to be in the flow state, you know, our brain waves are actually, predominant brain waves are actually the slower waves. So we, we, right. want, we want our mind calm and, and peaceful and slow, not all over the place and flitting about. That's it. That's uh, that's a really interesting and somehow counterintuitive finding as well in that state. Because you would think that you would increase uh, the capacity in, in your whole brain. And you know, if you looked at your brain, that every part would become active when you're in this uh, very powerful state, kind of like in the movie Limitless, right? When right. you when you just process all this information at once. But it, flow again, flow follows focus. So it's much much more important uh, instead of incorporating all the information that you have available, focusing on the important ones. And when you're in that state, you are much better in deciding which stimuli now are important, which ones you can shut out. So you're in a critic, you shut out, for example, you know, mm -hmm. maybe some person uh, talking to you, you would shut out. If you have a colleague behind you and he wants to know something unimportant, your brain recognizes, okay, this is not important by the way he's talking or by the his tone of his voice or the words coming out. And so you, you don't actively, you're not disrupted anymore. You're in, you're in flow. And, and you know that. I'm sure if I tried uh, talking to you while you're in a flow state, you'd not even recognize me. You're, uh, you'd be just in the moment in your activity. Right. And that's why it's it's more important. And, and when you look at the brain, that a lot of parts are not active, and, and and some parts are extremely active. So it's much more, but less is more. So it's almost like we're we're diverting resources where they need to be most. Exactly. Yeah. So we don't waste any energy on on different things. And you, and you mentioned, by the way, I, I wanted to say that because you can uh, help this. Uh, brain electricity, uh, you can support yourself uh, to to get into that flow state by, for example, using binaural beats, but also there's one finding, and there's not a lot of science on that, so you've got to be careful, but you have this nitric oxide release when you're in that struggle phase, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Before you get into flow, you have this release phase. So uh, this is where nitric oxide helps flush out stress hormones, and so from that fight-or-flight response, uh, you get into that flow state. So this and this needs to happen. And apparently, you can support that by ingesting something rich in nitric oxide, uh, which dark, dark yeah, chocolate, beets, exactly mm -hmm. beet juice. And in the in the Olympics, I think it was in the London 2012 Olympics, there was this phenomenon where athletes consumed a lot of beet juice because they knew about the effect of nitric oxide, and it was called the Purple Olympics, I think, as far as I remember, because all the the urine of the athletes at the doping centers, they were all purple. <laughs> so that's uh, also something in interesting. And I know that several other biohackers have uh, talked about beet, uh, beets. I know in the States, there's a company called Beet Elite or a product called Beet Elite, which is quite known. Uh, and uh, it's, it's highly concentrated beet uh, juice in order to activate nitric oxide release. Right. It could help with flow. So there's there's another aspect that, that can help people in that release phase as well, and that is taking a nap. Um, there have been some studies that show that people are, are better able to assimilate information or, or acquire new skills if, if we learn a little bit or practice a little bit and then take a nap and then come back and, and perform that task or, or revisit that information later in the day. So, so if you're looking to acquire a new skill or information quickly, uh, naps can help too because as we sleep that's when our brains assimilate information so um, you know that that release or, or recovery phase doesn't have to be um, you know this thing where you're awake and you're struggling with oh well what do I do now and, and interestingly about those naps I talked to um, Demo Arina the, the organizer of the Biohack Summit that we both attended and spoke at and uh, so he's next he's co-written the sleep chapter for the biohacker's handbook and uh, he would say that you know when you take a nap there are two different naps there's a 20 minute nap and there's a 90 minute nap and in between you shouldn't really take a nap because you you have these four sleep cycles mm -hmm. and before you enter deep sleep 
you should get out of the nap. So that happens usually just about after 20 minutes. So when you do these famous 20 minute naps, when you wake up before that, you feel recovered, you feel well. But if you want, like you said, to have this benefit of storing information, reorganizing information, you should consider maybe once in a while, if people can't afford it, obviously in the normal workday, it's hard to just take a 90 minute nap, but then go for a full 90 minute nap and you get apparently the full benefits of all those four sleep cycles, right. uh, including the REM phase where you're just reorganizing, storing information. Absolutely. Um, all right, Max, let's dive into some of these uh, flow hacks that we can use at work. So uh, the, I think foremost, the, the first and foremost, and this is also something you know that doesn't really come from me, but that's something that the productivity gurus like Tony Robbins or Vishen Lakhiani from Mind Valley or David Allen, the guy from Getting Things Done, would say, is you need in order to do anything, you need purpose. You need to find purpose, and this again is tied to flow follows focus, and that doesn't mean. For example, a purpose wouldn't be to lose 10 pounds. That's not a purpose, that's a result. So you need to really think about and clarify for yourself, why do you need to lose 10 pounds? To look better at the beach, to feel better, to be healthier later on, to prevent pain, uh, these things. And it helped me a lot. And I found myself in these situations where I was focusing much more on results than on the purpose behind it. For example, even you know, starting a business, running a business, you say, I want to get to 10,000 email subscribers. But this is a result, this is not a purpose. And it doesn't, it, you won't get into a really highly purposeful flow state if you don't know the underlying purpose. Hey, I wanna help 10,000 people become healthier. This is a much better purpose. Right. Um, so this is the, the first one. Then the next stage would be then to, develop results uh, that are smart, like um, measurable, uh, yep. achievable. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about, uh, that's a goal setting technique, smart, measurable, uh, exactly. attainable, into that, into detail. realistic, you know, attainable. Time, uh, time driven. So you have to put a deadline on it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, what, what, what was the S for? No, I forgot that one. Specific. Specific, that's it. So. Um, th that helps obviously then to really get into it. And then the next step I think would be in, I mean, there, there are two different ways what you can do and be biohackers are really good at that. So I'd say the yogis and the biohackers differentiate themselves that the ones try to shut off all the distractions and the others try to up their system in order to deal better with all the distractions. So the biohackers are the ones, you know, we, we try to optimize all our capabilities in order to be better at everything in the world. The yogis would say we, we shut down the unimportant stuff and think about what's, what's important. And I think now we came as a progression or as, as a development in the field of biohacking, we are kind of incorporating the two fields now. Mm -hmm. And I think this is biohacker 2.0 already now that we have to be upgrading our system and we're also shutting off the distractions. That's, and, uh, that's a really cool way of, of kind of comparing and contrasting them. I've, I've never heard that. You and I, before we hit record, were actually talking about the importance of uh, maybe paring down and, and, and focusing on less and, and not necessarily doing less, but you know, rather than approaching life as this never-ending to-do list of checkboxes and moving on to the next thing, but, but trying to, to, to focus on fewer things so that you can give each thing greater amount of attention and, and do it with purpose and do it, you know, explore it and, and deliver it in its fullest capacity as opposed to just knocking it out to get it done and move on to the next thing. Yeah, Ryan, you know, this is something that I'm really passionate about because I came to the realization for myself that I, I also, you know, there's so many podcasts to listen to nowadays uh, and, uh, and, and articles to follow, blogs to follow, books to read. Uh, events to visit and uh, I uh, really I was overwhelmed I was overstimulated and uh, I thought I had a reading list of I don't know 100 books and tons of uh, podcast episodes to listen to and I couldn't do it anymore and I came to that point where I said okay no I'm not going to do anything of that anymore mm -hmm. uh, for a while and I shot, I limited my resources and this is actually one of the biggest uh, eye openings that I had last year is 
you need, once in a while, you need to limit your resources. You need to limit the amount of information you take in. Otherwise, you just became this, you become this tape recorder that is just repeating what you're given to. You listen to a podcast and you like the opinions, but you, you prevent yourself from forming your own opinions. So I think there needs to be a good balance of consumption of information as well uh, as um, creating your own thoughts with that information and making up your own mind. And, you know, the perfect example will also be limiting your, your budget. A person, if I give my marketing manager, let's say, a limited budget, uh, she will become much more creative in finding solutions than if she has an unlimited budget. And this is a law called the Parkinson's law, which means that we, uh, you will fill the amount of time that you have available with work. So let's say you have 10 hours to study for an exam. You will somehow maybe procrastinate for a couple hours, then you'll study a little bit, but you will fill the 10 hours with something. Most people will, some maybe won't. So you can prevent this Parkinson's law by limiting your resources. Let's say you only, you, you tell yourself, you give yourself only two hours to study for the exam. You will have two much more effective hours and you can apply this law or this concept to everything, be it any resource, be it money, be it time, be it information. I've never heard that law specifically by name, but it uh, Pomodoro's is a technique that, that I use. We use it Natural Stacks. We've talked about it a lot, uh, either on the show or on our blogs. That sounds like the, the force behind what makes Pomodoro's such an effective technique for productivity. Exactly. This, is, this, is, uh, this was actually the next technique I was going to mention, uh, the Pomodoro technique. There, there's your segue. There's your yeah, segue. That's a great segue. <laughs> well done, right? We're in, we're in flow right now. It's group flow. That's another trigger. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we're bouncing the ball back and forth, and uh, it's working. And it's uh, Pomodoro is a great way. So it was actually developed by this Italian uh, guy called Francesco Cirilli. It's called Pomodoro because it's a Pomodoro shaped timer. So it's a, it's, it's a timer shaped in a tomato it, form. Pomodoro is the Italian word for tomato. Exactly. And so you, you can, you know, time it for whatever, for example, to make, to boil eggs or something like that. That's what people use it for. And he started using it for uh, getting some time to work on something. And you can uh, think about it also in a way of shutting off distractions for a limited amount of time. So I think a lot of people now uh, that work in an office environment, they say, I can shut off. I need to uh, be responsive to emails. I need to be there if someone wants something from me. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to get to Pomodoro, the first step needs to be to really limit the potential distractions, to tell your colleagues, hey, I'm working on something right now, shutting your phone on airplane mode, mm -hmm. uh, getting ideally, for example, the app Freedom helps you to get offline. If you're in a creative industry, you might not need internet work so you can shut off the internet for for a time that that freedom app actually is is great and uh, then pomodoro helps you because pomodoro means that you focus for 25 minutes and you take a five minute break so you make a deal with yourself okay for 25 minutes i'd be not available right now everyone can be not available for 25 minutes and i work on something and in order to get into flow it's a bit like getting into sleep so it usually takes between 7 and 11 minutes so uh, let's say you need 10 minutes to really get into the flow state. So you have 15 minutes of flow time, which is worth, I'd say, an hour of normal work. Right. So you, in 15 minutes, you get so much done when you're in flow. So Pomodoro is a great way to help you do that. After five minutes, you can switch on your phone again. You can check your emails. You can see if anything's up. If nothing's up, you do another Pomodoro technique. And if you're really in flow and you say, you know what, I'm just going to keep going, I'd say, just keep going. Don't even take a break. So, you know, to kind of build on that, uh, looking back at, at your at your yogi's um, comparison, you know, I think it, you mentioned, you know, people, especially in an office or a cubicle, you know, we get caught up in all these other distractions. I need to be there for a coworker. I need to be able to answer emails. Unless your job is customer service, your, your job performance is not judged or graded on how quickly you respond to emails. And, and I doubt very highly, I'm sure there are some exceptions, but as a general rule of thumb, 
you know, you probably were not hired to do your job based on your ability to respond to emails or to answer emails. That's not what your job description is. So, you know, I think Max makes a really good point, you know, block out emails, turn that off. That's a distraction from what you are really like, what your purpose is in your company, no matter who you are, or what you do. Uh, like I said, I'm sure there are exceptions, customer service or, or some other things, but um, I, I like that taking that yogi approach of, you know, what's really important here? Or what's, what's my role? And, and one of the things I've shared this before on some videos, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but I always use a yellow legal pad to write my to-do list for a day. But on the right side of that, I do, um, the, the acronym I use is MTC, move the change, move the chains. It's a football analogy. Like if you're always getting first downs, you're always moving forward. Um, there's a book called the one thing. Sometimes you could use move the chains or the one thing as interchangeable, but I write every single day, the one thing, and, and here, so you guys can see it, it's actually, it's on this side. If you're watching the video, this is my one thing for each given day. And if okay. I, if, if I only got one thing done today, it was record this podcast with Max. <laughs> Every, everything else is, is gravy. So, you know, all the stuff that I do before the podcast, all the stuff that I do after, uh, you know, that's, that's great. That's in addition to, but, but I think if you pare it down to what's the one thing that can help me move my mission forward or my company's mission forward today, you know, where do you make the most impact and, and focus on that? So, um, so, wait, wait, let me add something on the, to that because it's, uh, I think you just hit again the nail on, on its head. <laughs> uh, by I think it's so hard though, it's so hard for people to say, okay, this is one thing, uh, and 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 they can't decide. And it, I think it's 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 very common that we get into this trap where we say, oh, we have so many things to do. And we do everything a little bit and we jump around and we don't do multitask, we do task shifting or task switching. Mm -hmm. So you jump from answering an email, you know, to work a little bit on your design project to uh, maybe writing an article to planning a podcast episode. And so, but what you actually are doing is you prevent yourself from deciding which is the most important thing to do because you, you could do them all one after the other, mm -hmm. but you decide to do them all at the same time. And that's a terrible idea because you just, you push every stone just a little bit in order to take one stone and run with it. And I think that's where it, again, sometimes stop. If there are too many things around you that you have to do, stop and think about what is it that you actually need to do in order to have the biggest impact. Focus on the big wins. There's so many things that we do in a, in a day or in a week that are really unimportant. And there's, there might be this one thing that brings us ahead, that saves us, I don't know, six months of work if you do it. And sometimes we come across it accidentally and we do it. Uh, but I think there's so many different tasks that we tend to do that turn out to be really important. And, and time of life is just too important uh, and too valuable to waste it actually with these unimportant tasks. And I find myself doing a lot of those tasks all the time. I need to remind myself every day and I'm also filling out the journal uh, like you do. What is my most important thing to do today? And I, sometimes I don't make it and sometimes I do. And there are more days than I do it and that's why I'm happy. But I think that's why we find ourselves in this field. We are scratching our own itch in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, this podcast is a prime example. I mean, flow is something that, that I'm, you know, completely intrigued by and, and love to be able to, to talk about it. It's something that's made a difference in my life. And, and I know it's made a difference in other people's lives. Uh, and that's why I wanted to, to make sure we could get you on the show and talk about it. I'm glad you mentioned the, the multitasking and, and it's, it's really task shifting. Um, there was an interesting study published from Stanford recently, and I will link to this on the blog post, and I'll actually send it to you too, Max. It, it may yeah, be relevant it. for you going forward, but um, you know they found that exactly what you just said. You know, there, there really is no such thing as as multitasking; it's task shifting. And the study found that people who claim to be good at multitasking, and this is a quote from the uh, from the study, they said quote, they're suckers for irrelevancy. So food for thought. Very well said. Hey, I'm so impressed you've come across all those concepts that I also 
<laughs> the study is great. And please, please share it. I'll do that for you. And and like I said, we'll put it on the show notes for you guys listening. Um, so Max, let's let's pick back up. You you, you mentioned Pomodoros. Uh, what else can we do at work? So, I think one of the major things that's a total uh, it's it's a concept worth another episode, and that's I'm sure you've covered it in detail is. Uh, Fasting and the ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. and I know you follow it, and you've—I'm uh, not sure if right now after Christmas still, Ryan, but I'm sure. I, I'm in. Hey, I told you I'm going to Mexico next week, so I got to take my shirt off. There, there were no Christmas feasts. I'm, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm in ketosis right now. That's great because I have to admit I'm not. I think, but <laughs> I, I, I am. And actually, before the episode, I took a bit, of, a little bit of keto force, which is a exogenous keto ketone supplement um, because it helps me to get into uh, flow state. I'm, I think I'm still fat adapted because mm-hmm. I usually follow a ketogenic diet and I, I usually about two to three times a week I fast intermittently, which means I don't I eat my last meal at night and then I don't eat until the next afternoon. And I have the most productive days and I also get into flow a lot easier. And I think it's because you really don't waste any energy with your digestion. So you don't right. take any food into it. Sometimes I have a bulletproof coffee or some MCT oil with, uh, with tea or even keto force mm-hmm. in order to get myself quicker into, into this ketogenic state. So I'm not sure how much your listeners know about that. So I'm, we've had we, we recently had a ketone episode. We had Dominic Diagostino and Mike Nelson. We went Really, really deep on ketones. If you have, if you guys listening haven't heard that one, definitely go back and listen to it. That's our most downloaded episode ever. Um, but yeah, Max, if there's anything you want to share, we're, we're definitely open to to hearing how you hack that state or or use it to your advantage. So I think uh, it's when you need to perform mental work. That's uh, for me. Then I really perform a lot better when I fast. So that there is certainly a correlation there. So uh, I, I do eat during the day, so I don't fast for a whole 24 hours, but uh, while I do um, the, my share, my biggest share of the work that I need to do, which is usually in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, then I, I don't eat breakfast and I, uh, I just fast. Now I'm divided on how it would work for athletes that, that work out a lot because I, you know, as, as you mentioned, I've played um, basketball in college and I've trained a lot and uh, I wasn't able to really follow a ketogenic diet while I was still playing also later on. I was just losing too much weight and I couldn't eat as much fat right. as I needed to, I guess, uh, as many calories. And I, even I tested my hormone levels uh, during an experiment and without wanting to lose weight, maybe for the guys who want, uh, the, the people who want to lose weight, that's that's a great great sale for great sell for the ketogenic diet. But within I think eight weeks, I lost eight kilograms, which is about which is about sixteen pounds of weight. Um, but also my testosterone dropped quite significantly. And um, I talked to Dave Asprey actually about that as well, and I presented the testosterone experiment at the Bulletproof Conference in Los Angeles in 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think in, in the beginning I thought it was the lack of carbs actually, that, that because I found an article um, mentioning that. But now I think it's the missing calories. So when you're on a ketogenic diet and you're an athlete and you burn a lot of calories, you need to make sure you get enough calories. And there are certain subtypes. And if you had Dominic Diagostino on the show, and then you had the, the experts on that. But there are, is the cyclical uh, ketogenic diet and the targeted ketogenic diet, which work with refeeds and with carb days and carb loading days and carb ups and so on. And so you combine eating carbs on certain days with fasting on others. Mm-hmm. And also for myself, I found this was the best way to use uh, the ketogenic diet. So I'm not in ketosis 100% of the time. I know some people are, like our uh, mutual friend Todd White, you know, from mm-hmm. right. White yeah. And uh, they, for them, it works fantastic. And then there are others, um, I'd say also I'd include Tim Ferriss into that. I think he, I've heard that he only is about, he, he, he really 
experiments a lot with exogenous ketones, but he is only about maybe five to ten percent of the time in ketosis. Mm -hmm. but he uses it specifically for times where he needs to perform. Right. And so I'm more and more in, in that and switching back and forth. The the thing that I would add to this is that you know with my background as as a strength coach and having run a gym and, and been around a lot of athletes as well, I, I think the recommendation for an athlete would be the more frequently and the more intensely you exercise, the greater your need for carbohydrates would be. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't be ketogenic. It just means that, you, you know, as Max said, you would really need to make sure that your calories stay up to prevent the, uh, the drop in testosterone. Uh, we, we talked a lot about that with, with Mike Nelson and, and Dominic on that podcast. So uh, I won't repeat a lot of that on, on this episode. Um, you know, but, but to, to build on Max's point about calories, I mean, Dave Asprey talked about, you know, he, he's written and talked many times about looking for like 4,000 to 4,500 calories a day when he was starting to experiment with ketosis. And, and this was a guy who, uh, I don't know his exact workout plan at that time, but, but he's always been one of those like seeking the minimal effective dose of exercise. Um, you know, so I don't see him in that period as somebody who was playing basketball every single day or, or doing CrossFit workouts. And, and when I say exercising intensely, that's, that's kind of what I mean. Um, you know, we did recently have Dr. Kate Shanahan on the podcast who was the Lakers uh, nutritionist. And she talks about, you know, Steve Nash and Dwight Howard and, and Kobe Bryant and getting them fat adapted has advantages. And there's, you, you don't have to be in ketosis to be fat adapted. Being fat adapted can help you get into ketosis more quickly, um, you know, with things like just going for a walk, which I just saw Tim Ferriss talk about on a video, you know, combining some, some walking and some intermittent fasting, you know, and, and that's what Max is talking about here too. So uh, if you guys have questions on this, shoot Max or myself uh, a note or post them on the comments for, for this podcast. And, and maybe that's some stuff that we can go into on a whole other podcast. Because um, like Max said, that, that could take an entire hour to, to cover. Um, and especially maybe one more thing to add, because some people who are afraid of the ketogenic diet, you don't need to be in ketosis in order to, to have the benefits of fa fasting, at least some of them. So you won't get into a ketogenic state by just fasting for an afternoon or for, for a half a day or for 16 hours. But still, you get the benefits of not uh, troubling your digestive system mm -hmm. with too much energy consumption. And you have this energy available for other tasks. So you might get hungry in the beginning. So these are pretty much the withdrawal symptoms of not having glucose. But um, like you said, if you are, if you are good at metabolizing uh, fat and you, you don't need to be fully fat adaptive, but maybe even doing that for a couple of weeks, two times a week fasting, you will get into the habit of it. Mm -hmm. You'll have an easier time and you don't need to be in a ketogenic state, but you still get the benefits of of fasting and that helps you with being more productive getting into more flow and there's a ton of other health benefits associated with intermittent fasting a couple of times a week mitochondrial benefits longevity benefits uh, yes. all kinds of things so uh, and, and we've written about this on the blog too so um, you know if you guys are interested in that uh, like I said let us know Max we're coming up on on the close um, are there any other hacks or, or triggers that we can implement at work that you want to make sure you share with us? Well, one thing uh, I really, uh, I came across recently and that I really like is, uh, and it might be known to you, is the combination of uh, chocolate and a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, uh, like cinnamon, for example. So, uh, Chocolate. That, that, that big long word he just said was an MAO inhibitor, which a lot of Americans may associate with uh, pharmaceuticals here in the States. Exactly. So it's a compound that prevents. So that maybe uh, as an explanation. So there's, there's a molecule in chocolate or in cacao, which is called phenylethylamine. And this is usually associated with these trust feelings and feelings of happiness in chocolate. So if you consume a lot of dark chocolate, you have this natural high. Mm -hmm that uh, is caused, among others, by this compound called phenylethylamine. And this, is, however, is broken down fairly quickly in the body by uh, monoamine oxidase, so a MAO. And uh, you can prevent 
the breakdown of phenylethylamine with a MAO inhibitor. And for example, this could be cinnamon. So combining fruity dark chocolate with cinnamon uh, will help keep phenylethylamine in the body for longer. And uh, as we said before, there are also neurochemical happenings when you get into that flow state. Among others, endorphins are being released. So this, this feeling of uh, I'm onto something, I'm feeling good, this dopamine feeling, this yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting my shots, I'm running, I'm, I'm working, I'm getting things done. You need to feel good about this stuff to, in order to keep going. Mm -hmm. and, and consuming dark chocolate with cinnamon will help create this feeling better. So uh, this is something that people do a lot. Um, there's a, a green tea called Kratom. I don't know if you heard about that. I have heard about it, yes. Uh, so uh, it makes you feel really good. It's, it, it works on the, it's, it's, it's dangerous, so I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. It's, uh, it works on the opioid receptors mm -hmm. and it can be quite addictive, but it makes you feel good. And people usually get into uh, a flow state or, or in, in deep concentration because even if they do something not very comfortable or not very uh, pleasing, they still feel good about it all of a sudden. So you do, I don't know, you hack your, your numbers into your Excel spreadsheet, which usually you hate, but all of a sudden you feel good about it. And so you can trick your system a little bit. And chocolate, cinnamon is a great natural way of getting over the hump of doing something uncomfortable uh, and keep doing it. That, that is a new one to me. I like it. I, I'm going to try that today, actually. I'm going <laughs> to put some cinnamon on my 100% chocolate bar. It's a great way, no, and, and also you know, cinnamon has all kinds of other health benefits, uh, so it's uh, not a bad idea to yeah. add it. Uh, Max, before we ask you the one final question, uh, give our listeners a chance to get more of you. Where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on uh, flowgrade.com. So we have an English site up, so we're a bio, uh, an Anglo-German company. Uh, made in Germany, but with you know a lot of uh, inspiration coming from you guys over in the States because uh, this is just uh, where also I learned uh, the basics. You know, I played in college at Boston University. And so um, flowgrade.com, like upgrade, but with flow instead of up. And uh, you, you'll find, you know, similar stuff as, as what, what Ryan and, and you guys are doing over there. Uh, but also maybe some new stuff, hopefully, especially uh, maybe a bit more about flow uh, hacks at work. And, you know, there's the article up on, on the 11 flow hacks. So uh, this uh, and, and, and about me. So we also have a podcast now. It's half German, half English. Uh, we had a couple of really cool guests as well. And uh, you're going to be on there too. So this is, this is uh, fantastic already. I'm really looking forward to that one. I'll be so Max, final question. This is the one that every guest has to answer. We want to know your top three tips to live optimal. They don't have to be on topic. Uh, just the three things you want our listeners to, to walk away with if it was the only three things you could tell them. All right. Um, so they're actually all tied to what we've, we've talked about because that's just what, what I'm most passionate about right now. But the first thing would be find purpose. So really be active instead of reactive. So really uh, try to focus on the things that you really want to do and that are important that, that have the biggest impact and focus on the big wins. And so I think this find, finding purpose for me has become a, a habit when I do something, when I start a new project, I really ask myself, why am I doing it? Why do I want it? Sometimes it's only because recently I've uh, witnessed a competitor do some uh, new email technique, for example, and you want to do it as well because you think, oh, okay, he's doing it. But then you think, wait, uh, am I just reacting now or am I acting? And I think asking yourself that question with everything you do helps a lot in prioritizing and getting rid of the, the, the unimportant stuff. So really ask yourself, find a uh, purpose. And the second would be um, something that you really, I wanted you to take away from that episode is flow follows focus. So try to focus and shut off distractions, get rid of uh, for a while Facebook and uh, any notifications popping up, maybe put your phone in another room. I think this is, 
so has become so difficult. And even though we know that it's, it seems maybe people repeat that, get rid of technology and have these tech-free days and tech detox and whatever is thrown around nowadays, we all, uh, at least me, myself, I, I'm a victim. And uh, I need to remind myself every day, okay, focus now, focus on, what, on this one thing. What is the one thing I need to do? Like you said, you know, your habit, I think is great. Write down this one task because um, instead of, maybe even if you only don't do one thing, you get ahead every day a little bit. And if you do that 365 days in a row, you focus on one thing, you have done 365 important tasks that's already more, I think, than most people do in a year. Right. So that's set number second. And the third one, also already mentioned, is limit your resources. So when you do anything, spending, and, and resources could be money, could be information, or could be time. But limit your resources that, that you're doing uh, stuff with it. For example, let's say you, you write an article, say I'm writing, I'm going to write it in two hours and no matter... Uh, how far I get in, in two hours, it's done. I'm not working on it anymore. Or if you, uh, I don't know, spending money on something, just limit yourself in that. Or uh, information would be, I'm listening to only one podcast a week. I need to decide which one, for example. Or maybe it could be three. The number is now random. Um, but it's, uh, I think, important to also spend some time in thought um, and to really come up with your own ideas and to process the information. If you're just consuming information all the time, you don't process it enough. You just you become a tape, tape recorder. Right. You're, re you're repeating just what you've heard. And I think sometimes this is the pattern recognition that I'm so uh, interested in as well with when, when it comes to flow, that you have already some sort of knowledge and the good shit sticks. You know, it's uh, uh, I don't know who said that, but some some people would say that whatever you hear, some some good things stick and then you combine it with your own experience and you create this new thing this new information and that then it comes from ryan muncie or from max gotzler uh, and then it's new and it's original and uh, you can pass it on and you're not just a tape recorder so limit your resources would be number three those are beautiful max Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for sharing all this information. Uh, this has been a blast. For you guys listening, make sure you go to uh, naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the blog post version of this. Uh, all the links to the studies and, and the books and all the stuff that we've talked about. Uh, go to iTunes. Leave us a review. If we read it on the air, we will hook you up with free products. And, of course, share this episode and the OPP in general with the people in your life who you know will benefit from the things that we're talking about. Max, thanks a lot, man. This has been great. Hey, you're welcome. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for doing that, Ryan. For you guys listening, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch up with you next week.